everybody, Rachel Varga here, the beauty side of Beauty and the Biohacker, and I warmly invite you to check out working with Katie and I. You can go to beautyandthebiohacker.com where you can find our book one-on-one links with either Katie and I. Katie can help you with optimizing your sleep through biohacking modalities, and I can help you with optimizing your at-home and in-clinic skin and rejuvenation journey with skincare, biohacking, dermal rolling, and all of that cool stuff. Be sure to also check out our favorites page where you can find our shortlist of our top biohacking and supplement picks to help you slow your aging on a cellular level. And be sure to use those affiliate links to continue to support the show here and use the promo codes to save yourself some money. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to Beauty and the Biohacker, where we explore the latest tools and trends in self-care, aesthetics, and peak performance to help you live your most beautiful life from the inside out. I'm your co-host, Rachel Varga, a board-certified aesthetic nurse specialist since 2011 with over 19,000 rejuvenation treatments performed on thousands of patients. And I'm Katie Moore, a self-proclaimed biohacker with three years of self-experimenting in the space of health and wellness technology. I'm on a mission to help you achieve success without sacrificing your health or happiness through my YouTube channel, Katie Type A. So join us as we sit down with some of the biggest innovators in the health space, the movers and shakers of the wellness world, and unpack some of the biggest secrets in the skincare and longevity space. We are Beauty and the Biohacker, and we're thrilled to have you along for the ride. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode on the Beauty and the Biohacker podcast. Katie and I are thrilled to hang out with you here where we discuss all things beauty and biohacking. And in today's show, we are going to discuss Hashimoto's and everything you need to know about thyroid support. We are going to be getting into the thick of it, of biohacking and skin aging and how Hashimoto's is involved in all of those aspects and how we can maybe prevent or manage or all sorts of wonderful things. And just a disclaimer, what we discussed here on the show is not medical advice, it's educational information only. And let's tell you a little bit about today's guest. We have Dr. Anshul Gupta, and he has the Hashimoto's Summit happening. So in the description of this episode, I'd love for you to join this program. I'm actually presenting on this summit. And just it's a great way. Summits are a great way if you're new to what they are, a great way to hear expert topics talking on one thing that you're interested in. It gives you an opportunity to learn about other people and other guides that could support you in your journey too. So Dr. Anshul Gupta is a best-selling author, speaker, researcher, and the world expert in Hashimoto's disease. He educates people worldwide on reversing Hashimoto's disease. He's a board-certified family medicine physician with advanced certification in functional medicine, peptide therapy, and also fellowship trained in integrative medicine. I love this. We have the Western trained, but also the holistic um, training as well. And in my opinion, in my experience, these are the rock star healers. He has worked at the prestigious Cleveland Clinic Department of Functional Medicine alongside Dr. Mark Hyman. He has developed thousands of he has helped thousands of patients to reverse their health issues by using the concepts of functional medicine. His dedication towards his patients was recognized when he was awarded Reader's 
Choice Best Doctor in Northern Neck area. He is now on a mission to help 1 million people reverse their health conditions. To achieve this mission, he has written a bestseller book called Reversing Hashimoto's. He has also started a virtual functional medicine practice, a blog, and a YouTube channel so he can reach people all over the world through his innovative approach towards Hashimoto's disease. He has helped several patients to reverse their unresolved symptoms and live their life to the fullest. Welcome, Dr. Angela Gupta. Welcome to the Beauty and the Biohacker podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure. We are so thrilled to have you here, and I am particularly excited to talk to you about Hashimoto's. It's something that has come up a lot in conversations with fellow biohacking friends, people who are in the YouTube space with family members, people are going undiagnosed with Hashimoto's. And so I would love to talk to you a little bit about your personal experience with Hashimoto's and what, you know, like, why did you get so involved in creating a summit and, and all of these new kind of like, you know, coming up with new protocols to help people with this particular disease? Because I think, you know, it can affect people in so many different ways, but I'd love to hear your personal journey. And then on top of that, talk a little bit about where things are going in terms of protocols and options that people can actually seek out to help mitigate some of the symptoms. Absolutely. So Hashimoto's is a very different disease, which has been misunderstood for a very long time. So Hashimoto's is an autoimmune thyroid condition. Most people who are suffering from thyroid condition have not been checked for Hashimoto's or have no idea. The number one reason of people suffering from thyroid condition worldwide is currently Hashimoto's and conventional medicine doctors are not even checking it. So that's the first problem because we are not treated or we are not you know, knowing about checking for Hashimoto's because there is no medicine which exists for Hashimoto's. The only medicine that exists currently is levothyroxine, which is only supplementing your thyroid hormone and not doing anything to actually tackle the autoimmune process, which is destroying the thyroid gland in Hashimoto's. Before we so go any further, I just want to ask about the testing because uh, is it a difficult, is it like Lyme disease? It's really hard to test for it is not. It is a simple test that each and every person can get through the regular doctors and all the regular labs order it. So let's talk about the testing a little bit. So regular blood test to check for thyroid is only one test, which is TSH, which is a thyroid stimulating hormone. For Hashimoto's, you need to check for antibodies for Hashimoto's. There are two antibodies. One is called thyroid peroxidase antibody and the other one is called thyroglobulin antibodies. As I said, most of the physicians are aware of it and you can get it easily from any lab if you want. So it's an easy test, so everybody should get it. But unfortunately, most of the people do not get it. So they never know that they're suffering from Hashimoto's. And the real reason, as, as I discussed with you, is that we do not have a current medicine to lower these antibodies. And that's the reason physicians never order it. And that's where I found the problem with majority of the people suffering from Hashimoto's is that even though they are taking the thyroid medicine called levothyroxine, they still do not feel better. They still have symptoms of brain fog, fatigue, tiredness, skin problems, hair issues, 
gut problems, whole bunch of things, even after taking the medicine. Because nobody is working on the underlying root cause of Hashimoto's, which is causing these antibodies. So I think that's where, you know, we need to go in the future. And that's where I am going currently of developing a protocol of addressing the root cause and making things better from inside out approach. Wait, so you're saying there isn't an easy prescription for Hashimoto's and therefore it often gets swept under the rug because we don't have big pharma to pay for some of the treatments, right? <laughs> exactly correct. So that is unfortunate. Just imagine if you go to your doctor and he orders a test to check for antibodies and the antibody levels are high. The next obvious question would be, what can I do to lower the antibodies? And the doctors have no answer to it. Right. And nobody likes to kind of answer your question. Oh, well, there is nothing that you can be done. Right. So why not take an easy way out and not just do not order the antibodies. So you will not be feeling embarrassed because there is no medicine right now to lower the antibodies. And except for medications, the conventional medicine doctors cannot do anything else. Mm -hmm. Now, I am not bashing any doctor because I am also conventionally trained. I'm just making people aware that this is the unfortunate situation. Yeah, uh, that's the current situation that people are living in. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense too. as a doctor. You don't want to tell your patient that you have something that they don't know how to treat. Right. So it's, you know, and, and that's probably, you know, a, a big issue that we're going to see with a lot of you know, different diseases that come kind of through, I mean, even Lyme's like ALS is another disorder where it's like, even when after you go through like 10 years of testing to diagnose it, because my dad had ALS and he died from it. But it was like, we have nothing we can do, like, literally nothing. And it's, it's like a death sentence. And I, you know, my heart aches for people who are going through this, and they just want a solution because they're willing to they want to take that step towards improving their health. But then it's like, well, what, what do I do if the doctor doesn't have, you know, a guidebook for me? So this is kind of where you come in. And I'd love to talk a little bit more at length about some of the protocols that you've worked with that have helped in the past and where you see this future going. Absolutely. So, you know, I've done a lot of research and again, figuring out what exactly is going underneath this Hashimoto's, how we can make them better. So what I figured out was that there are certain root causes. So any autoimmune disease, which Hashimoto's is an autoimmune condition. Actually, it's one of the most common autoimmune conditions worldwide. More common than rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, or any of the other autoimmune conditions we have heard of. Hashimoto's is the number one autoimmune condition. And just imagine we are still not diagnosing it, right? So anyways, so what we figured out was that the Hashimoto's happens from a combination of your genetic factors and environmental factors, right? So there are certain genes, you know, which people might have, which kind of, you know, makes it more susceptible for people to have Hashimoto's. Now, we cannot change the genetic makeup of people, but what we can do is that how those genes express when they're exposed to certain environmental factors. So I figured out there are certain root causes or what we call as triggers, which causes these genes to start producing these antibodies. So first of all, we need to identify those root causes for a particular person. Unfortunately, each and every person has different kind of root causes, and they might have more than one root cause. That is another problem. So first, identifying what that particular root cause is that for that particular person, and then addressing that root cause and improving it 
and that ultimately leads to improvement of Hashimoto's and also improvement in the antibody levels. Fascinating. And uh, as a researcher myself, I love to look at statistics and data sets. And actually, I'm, I'm, I was hugely interested, keenly interested in mortality rates by type in 2020 in Canada. And it takes quite a while for these data sets to come out. And I think it was just earlier this year, we finally had the data February 23rd or, or 24th for 2020 here in Canada. There's a very interesting statistic, mortality rates by type doubled in the section were doubled from the year before to 2020 in Canada, it had remained stable from 2016 all the way to 2019. And this was the subsection of mortality rates by type, not respiratory disease, which you may think, it was of unknown diagnosis. So I emailed them back, Stats Canada, I said, what does this mean? This is like a huge signal, we should be paying attention to this. And the response I received back was the individuals that died in this section that this number had doubled, they died without a a complete diagnosis or maybe were waiting to see a specialist for diagnosis. And I would consider this kind of lump and data set subsection as autoimmune. So when you mentioned genetic and environmental, I think that there's a lot of things in our environment that are contributing to these more new, unknown type of things. So to create awareness for physicians, we have a lot of other health practitioners that turn tune into the show to actually do Hashimoto's testing and educate themselves on how they can best support their patients, their family members, their loved ones, their communities to actually investigate this in those that they're just not really sure what's going on. So what do you think about that? In Canada, we're seeing autoimmunity or unknown uh, mortalities um, without a diagnosis doubling. Are you also seeing this in other countries as well? So the autoimmune conditions on a rise, there is no question about it, uh, that we are seeing, as I said, you know, like uh, previously we were seeing only a few autoimmune conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, but suddenly there is a big epidemic of Hashimoto's. Like, you know, like I was saying, like a decade ago, we were talking about every second person having diabetes, right? You know, when we were looking at people and so much concerned about it, about the long-term effects of diabetes. Now, when I'm looking around me, Every second or third person has a family member who has been affected with thyroid disorder. Now, what we think is that, oh, well, you know, I have Hashimoto's or I have thyroid, but I'm taking a medicine, everything should be fine. What we are not knowing is that the long-term repercussions of having thyroid disorders 20 or 30 years after having it, because that will take us 20, 30 years to have that full data set in place. Similar thing happened with diabetes is that people do not die with diabetes from the day one. It takes them 10, 15, 20 years to develop the end organ damage. And that ultimately leads to the death from it. So similar with these autoimmune conditions is that the data set is still just coming out. In the next 10, 20 years, we will have more data which will show us the long-term effects of these things, which definitely can contribute to mortality. We already know Hashimoto's disease being an autoimmune condition kind of increases the chances of aging very quickly because it does affect your brain cells. Thyroid hormone is needed by brain cells. 
you know so if you do not have enough thyroid hormone which is actually active thyroid hormone then your brain doesn't function we see that in pregnancy in pregnancy you know we are making sure that the thyroid hormone is optimal because it can help with the proper brain development of the child so if the thyroid hormone is needed for brain development of a child we also need thyroid hormone when we are aging and it is naturally seen that as we age there is a high likelihood that our thyroid hormone level decreases so that is a again a big issue with aging and maybe it is contributing to alzheimers or dementia that we are seeing so much so as i said the thyroid hormone does a lot of end organ damage on the long term basis that we don't know about so i do feel autoimmune conditions on a rise and certainly this will be a big major change in the next 10 15 years in the mortality of a lot of people across the world i know a number of years ago when fukushima happened that uh, i'm on the west coast of north america pacific northwest and we were definitely getting some of that fallout and people were stocking up on iodine and all sorts of things to try and protect themselves you you couldn't even find it on the shelves here and that was you know a couple of years before that and then we've had all these new other types of radiation that we're using with our technology rollout so actually while i sleep i actually use um emf silver protective blankets to even cover my thyroid while i sleep so i can at least give this very delicate tissue uh, a little bit of a break from radiation so that it can at least recharge while i'm sleeping and all of that so i would love for you to speak to the connection between the hair and the skin in your hashimotos in your hashimotos clients because i have a lot of clients that have say dealt with like mold toxicity and it's very difficult for them to see results from their skin and rejuvenation because their response to potentially potentially making new forms of collagen and elastin are very sluggish and i think it could be related to fibroblast function and of course mitochondria for sure would have implications on that too so Why do Hashimoto's patients have hair and skin issues? Uh, and for example, at the first sign of of hair loss in women, I think that that could be a good kind of trigger to seek more insights uh, with your physician. Is that usually like the first thing that comes up is the hair loss? It can. It depends on person to person. So again, as I said, most oftenly Hashimoto's has been undiagnosed for several years before we finally came to know about it. because as i said we are only checking tsh and it takes years for the tsh to become abnormal while people might have antibodies to thyroid for a long amount of time so most of the time the hashimotos patients when they present to us you know they are already having a whole sort of problems whether they are fatigued or tired or they are tired a lot or they have issues with menstrual issues or infertility issues or they are gaining weight that is a big issue because everybody you know like concern about weight gain so that's a very big problem that we see in hashimotos and then the hair loss and obviously the skin issues now most of the females you know are always dismissed by physicians oh well you're stressed out that's the reason you're losing hair oh well you just have the kid you know or you just had a pregnancy and that causes you know like you have to have hair thinning so i think a lot of females are being dismissed for a long amount of time just you know by having stress or by having just pregnancy issues and the actual reality could be hashimotos which is destroying their hair or nails or skin 
So what happens in Hashimoto's is that, you know, we have these antibodies. These antibodies target different organs. So the kind of hair loss that we see in Hashimoto's is that their hair follicles itself are being attacked. And that's the reason this slow destruction happens. So not only we see like uh, hair thinning, but also hair loss, which a lot of times doesn't respond to regular treatments because regular treatments, again, are more focusing on kind of replenishing the nutrients to the hair follicles. Nobody's working on actually these antibodies. And second of all, obviously, thyroid hormone is needed by mitochondria to function better. And obviously, hair growth is a very intense mitochondrial uh, function. So if your mitochondria is not functioning good, it doesn't let your hair to kind of grow properly. And that also is for the skin issues. The skin health, you know, is, uh, is a very important because we see dry skin or thickening of the skin in people who have Hashimoto's. Again, because Hashimoto's or the thyroid hormone attacks the skin cells, doesn't let them function, doesn't let them rejuvenate. Myxedema is a common problem, which is basically a fancy term of saying that, you know, the skin uh, cells are thickening or they are accumulating a lot of waste materials in them. And that's the so like calluses, for example. That is correct. Yeah. So calluses or fibrous tissues, your fibrous cells, which are forming in there, you know, that happens because of poor thyroid health and very common situation, very common thing we see again in people with Hashimoto's. So that's the reason thyroid hormone or Hashimoto's very commonly causes these hair loss and a skin problem because these antibodies doesn't, doesn't let them function properly. Coming back to some of the treatments, because I think, you know, I'm always looking at solution oriented like protocols that people can take if they're dealing with these symptoms, if they know that they have a diagnosis. And there's, I have to say, I walk into like, you know, my pharmacy and there's all these adrenal health, thyroid health supplements for women. And curious, like, you know, when it comes to what is the right protocol and how much you're willing to spend, you know, is there, obviously there's not a one size fits all approach, but like, what are some of the supplements that you have seen worked best with your patients? What are some of the peptide interventions that are working best with your patients? Great question. So again, I actually recommend the most safest route to take for all of my clients because safety is first. So I think lifestyle changes, we ignore them a lot of times. And those are the basic things that people can start doing right now. Because there is no downside to it. Like diet, right? Our diets are still not perfect. We are still eating a lot of junk food, a lot of processed food, a lot of sugar added to our diet, a lot of gluten, you know, dairy added to our diets. So I think that's the first thing that people can start cleaning up their diet by keeping, you know, giving up processed food, giving up gluten, dairy, you know, less sugar. That's basic thing that almost I think everybody should do it. But people, especially with Hashimoto, should do that. Sleeping better, you know, that is again an important component. A lot of us only sleep five to six hours in a night and think that that is perfectly fine. In reality, we know that seven to eight hours is what everybody needs. Exercising, you know, like that is also important. Just 10 minutes, just 20 minutes of exercising if people do every day, that definitely reduces inflammation. So I think those lifestyle factors is one thing that I recommend each and every person to try first and do that. So that, you know, at least they have this a good background of doing things. And then next comes the supplements. Because I think Hashimoto's is a two-edged sword. What we are seeing in research is that too little of one thing is bad, but too much of a particular thing can also be bad. Like, for example, is iodine. 
Now, what we are seeing is that too little of iodine definitely cause Hashimoto's. There is no doubt about it. But too much of iodine can actually cause Hashimoto's too. So now the problem is that that very narrow window that we have, people have to live within it. The problem happens is that we do not have a perfect test to check for iodine in persons. So then, you know, like we don't know are we taking too much or too little because there are a lot of foods which do have iodine, right? So before we start on a supplementation, it's very difficult to calculate how much iodine a person is consuming. So that's the supplement a lot of Hashimoto's or thyroid patients are taking and some of these supplements can have very high doses of iodine. So sometimes we have to reduce those. So I always say as well, if you're taking iodine, make sure you're working with a professional like a functional medicine or integrative medicine person, especially who knows about thyroid so that, you know, he can kind of gauge or, you know, direct you into the safest route with that. But there are certain other supplements which can be useful like selenium. Research has shown time and again, selenium is good for Hashimoto's patients. It does show that selenium reduces the antibodies in Hashimoto's patients. Safe supplement, most of people can take easily on the regular basis. Again, different forms of selenium supplements are out there. It's very important for people to take selenomethionin. That is the best form of selenium that is absorbed in the body. And that, again, can reduce antibody levels. Selenium is required for making thyroid hormone because thyroid hormone is made by different enzymes in the thyroid gland. And one of the cofactors in those en on those enzymes is selenium. So Do you selenium. have any recommendations on your website for these particular supplements so we can link them below for our audience? So I have written a couple of blog posts, which, you know, which discusses all in detail about selenium, Perfect. what form of selenium, so yes, awesome. you know, like a lot of resources on my website. Obviously, my YouTube channel also has that. Yeah. So people, uh, whichever way they want to learn, they can use that. Fabulous. I, I, there's just so many on Amazon, you know, and I, I also would recommend that people don't buy their supplements on Amazon, you know, go through a really good like local pharmacy if you can or work with your practitioner. But that's great because I think like the more education and more resources we can give them, that's that'll get them on the right track. So awesome. So definitely check out the link below. Peptides. Can we can we talk a little bit about the uh, you know symptom mitigation effects that it might have for somebody dealing with fatigue? You know, what are some of the the common peptides, and when would it be the right time for somebody to say, "I've tried everything else"? Right. So let's first talk about what are peptides, because you know these are something which are very new. Uh, obviously, in the biohacking world, we are using some of the peptides like collagen peptides and other things for a long time. But in peptides, in general, are a collection of amino acids which are naturally produced by our body. Um, so we know the most common peptide is insulin. We have been using insulin for ages now, which is a peptide. With new technology, we have been able to use more and more peptides for therapeutic potential. So now in the market, we have a lot of peptides. Some of the peptides which are useful, especially for thyroid patients, one is BPC-157. So this is a peptide which are naturally produced by our gut lining, which protects our gut. You know, it is very important for reducing inflammation. It is good for healing purposes, especially people who have like ligamentous injury or the muscular injury. So we are using BPC for some amount of time, actually, mainly people who are into the bodybuilding world. Because that definitely increases their performance, that increases because they do get a lot of injuries, so that can be helpful for that. So in BPC, especially in thyroid patients or Hashimoto's, it helps with leaky gut. You know, like leaky gut is a condition where, you know, your gut cells becomes leaky 
and that has shown to be uh, responsible for producing antibodies or getting autoimmune conditions started. So BPC can be helpful for leaky gut conditions. It obviously helps out with reducing inflammation in the body. And as I said, it also is helpful for you know, uh, uh, repair of muscles and ligaments. A lot of people with Hashimoto's or thyroid conditions have chronic pain problems or chronic stiffness problem. So again, you know, BPC can be very, very helpful for improving joint pains, for also improving pain in general. A lot of people have been associated with fibromyalgia. Again, BPC can be helpful for improving the quality. Now, again, you know, like these peptides are not miracles, right? So, you know, you cannot say that if you just take BPC, that is going to solve all your problems. But I think these are very good value addition, you know, especially for people who are doing everything else and they are, let's say, 50% better. What else they can do to improve it? So I think the BPC or other peptides could be useful. The second peptide that we see is very useful is thymosin alpha-1. Now, thymosin alpha-1 uh, is a peptide which is naturally produced by a body which is by a gland called thymus gland. Now, thymus gland, you know, is located, you know, in our neck when we are kind of kids, you know, like we have it. And that actually is very helpful to train our immune cells. So all our immune cells which are working today, which recognizing which is foreign to us, what infections our body is getting, how to fight them. Thymus glands trains all these things. Now, as we age, you know, like the thymus gland has done its job, so it goes away. But what we are realizing is that in Hashimoto's, our immune system is completely modified, right? And that's the reason it is producing or attacking our own body. So this thymus and alpha-1 actually retrains the immune system, reduces inflammation in our body, and can be helpful for a lot of Hashimoto's patients by reducing the amount of antibodies they produce. So it does have some research in, you know, uh, in using different kind of autoimmune conditions, including Hashimoto's. So it reduces inflammation, improves the functioning of their thyroid gland, and obviously can improve, you know, the, redu the reduction of antibodies. So that's the second peptide. We use it very often. I would love to do a little plug here for a paper that I wrote recently. It's titled Providing Optimal Rejuvenation to the Jawline using advanced protocols. You can actually find my research at rachelvarga.ca forward slash research. You'll be able to find the link for the paper. And what's really interesting is in plastic surgery and aesthetics worldwide, neck rejuvenation is on the rise. So lasers, radio frequencies, intense pulse light, certain injectables like deoxycholic acid to actually kill your your fat cells in your double chin or your submentum and I, I wrote a paper actually warning practitioners to not use brand new rejuvenation treatments anywhere near the thyroid so for my whole career I never did a single radio frequency rejuvenation treatment anywhere near the thyroid which is basically a, a pretty big chunk of the neck so not a lot of practitioners in the aesthetics of rejuvenation world or even consumers considering laser rejuvenation even think about this. So I really feel like I was one of the first to even make that connection. If we're potentially employing rejuvenation, radio frequency is energy and it is being absorbed into the tissue. It's a frequency. And the thyroid's a very, very delicate type of tissue. We don't want to mess with that. We're very sensitive to certain things. 
and also this new injectable product it's it's basically injected right in the double chin area and one of the contraindications was thyroid disease but how many people have i diagnosed thyroid disease or hashimotos and what happens is this deoxycholic acid is injected in here and what happens is gravity always wins so where is it going to go? It's going to end up flowing down and potentially impacting the thyroid. So in the paper, I actually provided alternatives to that and radiofrequency to, in an effort, create awareness in the plastic surgery and aesthetic space to care for the thyroid and not just willy nilly be doing new rejuvenation in and around that area. So you're probably happy to, to hear about that. And in fact, uh, a number of other uh, functional practitioners in our communities, Dr. Gupta, were the ones that really actually got me on this train to evaluate some of these rejuvenation procedures that are widely available and marketed that might not be as healthy for you as you might think. So I am absolutely completely floored right now. Rachel, I am embarrassed that I didn't know that you wrote this paper, or maybe you have told me and I just ignored it in the past because this actually just came up for me this week. A friend of mine had an extra red light radioactive handheld wand and let me borrow it for a couple of days. And here I am using it on my face thinking, oh, Rachel would be so proud of me. I'm like, you know, doing. Oh, I, I think I, I think you mean radio frequency, not radioactive. Radio frequency. Correct. Yeah. All these radio yeah, frequency. Radio frequency. Devices, yeah. I'm very leery about. And so I was I was just thinking, well, this is, you know, a really expensive consumer tech product, I started going down my neck. I was like, you know, just like feeling like I was just trying to keep everything from the neck up, like you say, looking good. And the fact that I, I, I'm just like really mad at myself for not taking the time to think about what the radio frequency was doing to my skin and specifically those organs. I think this is something that so many people probably also make the same mistake and do repeatedly. I mean, thankfully, I only did this once or twice, but can you imagine doing this for years and years and years? The it's also your skincare. The chemical-based sunscreens, as you mm -hmm. know, Dr. Gupta, the uh, chemical-based filters, they are known hormone disruptors, paraben salate, sulfates, artificial dyes, fragrances, known hormone disruptors. And what are people doing day in and day out, applying their products directly on the tissue that's right in front of the thyroid but there's no manual like when or guide when you get these products sent to no. you at home that say whatever you do don't put this over your thyroid right there's know. nothing they don't know <laughs> dr dr gupta are you happy we're talking about this Absolutely. Yes. You know, like it's so like, you know, disheartening to see that so many females are using so many products, you know, like that are making them look great. But unfortunately, all those products are laden with so many toxins. And most females don't have any idea that they can be absorbed through their skin. And, you know, through the skin tissue directly goes to the thyroid. Thyroid is one of the most sensitive endocrine organs to toxins. Each and every toxin actually start accumulating in your thyroid. And over the co course of time, it reaches toxic levels. So we do have several studies that do show that several toxins, you know, which Rachel that you mentioned that are linked to thyroid hormone issues. So we already know that research that is already there. 
but still we are not doing much to educate females that you know there are safer products out there rachel is one of the great ones you know she has great products you know which is safer for females and obviously she does those consults to help them to improve those toxic lives that they're living so i'm glad that you're doing that you know and you are the only good resource out there and it's kind of alarming that there really isn't anyone else that's made the connection but it's because i went from the traditional western trained to our network dr gupta and i are part of a network of about 500 of i would go so far as to say as the world's leaders in health management and doing it in a new and innovative way. But of course, there's the old school healers that are just telling everybody the basics that's been around for thousands of years. There's that too, right? But they're they're not as able to get their voices heard in the online platforms. So I would love to nerd out a little bit more on nootropics for managing Hashimoto's. What's available? I mean, so we have different kinds. Obviously, we have the traditional nootropics of supplements. And then obviously, we have these peptides. Okay, so some of the peptides which are nootropics can be C-Lank and C-Max. Okay, so those are the nootropics that, you know, uh, have been there for a long time, actually. So these are actually originated from Russia. So these are what we call it, you know, originated in Russia, which were initially looking for anxiety purposes. Um, and they do help with anxiety, but they have also seen that these peptides can also improve the brain functioning. So in brain, you know, we have different kinds of chemicals like dopamine, you know, epinephrine or epinephrine, right? These chemicals are also important functioning of the brain and also important for learning. Several disorders like depression, anxiety or ADHD, right? Or dementia. What we are seeing is that, you know, these chemicals, you know, are not in the appropriate levels. So these C-Langs and C-Max actually rebalance these hormones in our brain. Along at the same time, they also reduce inflammation in the brain and also regeneration of some of the brain cells that can be helpful for brain functioning. So these are the two peptides which, you know, are, I think very useful and again, very less side effects. Uh, so as we are discussing before, you know, like SSRIs, you know, we're using for depression and anxiety. These have been used as alternative because these are not habit forming and they do not have too much of the side effects as we know about. Obviously, these are not perfect. So these, you know, these has to be used by case by case basis in people who have anxiety and depression. But as a nootropic, I think they are very nice because they can definitely help with, you know, ADHD symptoms or also improving for the quality of the brain cells. Now, these are nasal um, nootropics, correct? Like these are nasal sprays? So they come in both injectable and the nasal sprays. What we saw was that, you know, their absorption to the nasal palate is really good. And there is a good connection between the blood supply of the nasal palate, which goes directly to the brain, you know, because, you know, we only have one bone, which is separating a brain from the nasal palate, which is very close by. So the absorption is really good. And they can, you know, uh, they did the research study showed that, you know, their functioning as a nasal peptide, you know, works great. Easy deliverability, you don't have to inject yourself. So that works out good. But you when can you use smell it, it's in shot. your brain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But you can use them as a shot also if you want to. But I think nasally it's better because, you know, just nasal sprays, you are done with it. Yeah, I think I looked into C-Max a couple of years ago. And at the time, it was not easily accessible. You know, as you mentioned, it, it, they, it, it's still mainly, at least at the time, was um, I had to go through a manufacturer in Russia. And it I wasn't certain that the company was 100% efficacious. So 
Do you have any recommendations for people in terms of how to source these things? Do they come work with you? Is there a site that you recommend that people go to for, for this kind of information? So again, anything, you know, like out there, it is very important to first get yourself educated, you know, just don't use it. You know, you heard it on a podcast or you heard it on a blog post and you start using it because each and everything, you know, has a role. And plus, you know, like most of the time these peptides are safe, but, you know, obviously we don't want to use them in the wrong situation. So get them, get yourself educated about it. Definitely, I help people to get the peptides. So if they want to work with me, they can certainly do it. There are certain places. So not all the companies are safe in terms of the peptides because there are a lot of variety of companies online where you can order it. But a lot of them are poor quality peptides. They might have unregulated industry too. Exactly. So it is not regulated because it is not FDA approved. So you never know what you're getting into. So you make sure you're getting research. Peptide Sciences is a good company to get the peptides from. But again, they do not do any education. So, you know, like you might just look at and then they might have 50 different peptides and you start ordering it. So make sure you get yourself educated from the right resources or work with a provider like a functional medicine provider who knows how to use it in, in a safe fashion. Dr. Gupta, can you tell everybody how they can work with you, how they can register for your Hashimoto Summit and also your book? Absolutely. So the best way to get in touch with me is by going on my website, which is anshulguptamd.com. Uh, we have a lot of resources, as I said, blog posts about different things, um, YouTube videos, you know, again, sharing different information about peptides and stuff. Uh, for my summit, again, you know, like the this link, uh, the website link will have a link to register for the summit, which is free. So anybody can register and then get free access to it. So I do virtual consultations. So anybody, people anywhere in the world, if they want to work with me on Hashimoto's or thyroid conditions, they can again go on my website and book a free evaluation call. And then we can discuss how we can work with them. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And everybody pick up a copy, reversing Hashimoto's, HashimotoBook.com. And in this book, Dr. Gupta discusses his three-step process for losing weight, ending fatigue, and reducing brain fog. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure spending time and having a wonderful communication. And everybody, right away, go to AnshulGuptaMD.com and register for the summit because... I actually have a really cool talk. If you liked what I spoke on uh, in a snippet in here on the show on Skint, you're definitely going to want to register for that show. So thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us here on the Beauty and the Biohacker podcast. You can learn more about Katie and I and how to work with us one-on-one -on -one over at beautyandthebiohacker.com. Check out our favorites page for our top biohacks with special affiliate links and promo codes to continue to help to support this show and save you a little bit of money. Thanks everybody for being here and have an amazing day. Thank you guys so much for tuning into Beauty and the Biohacker today. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to leave a comment or share it on your social media account and we'll give you a shout out. And don't forget to head over to beautyandthebiohacker.com to check out all our episodes and our favorites page where we include our curated list of products with special discount codes just for you guys. And while you're there, sign up for our newsletter because we're sharing some exclusive content and giveaways you won't want to miss.